come on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. I'm so excited you're back here with me. Thank you for making it this week. And you are going to flip about this episode. I am so grateful to everyone at Hypergrowth for giving me the opportunity to share this interview with you. It is the interview of a lifetime, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Can't wait to hear what you think. And I'm going to cut right to it because you're going to be blown away by Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx and her husband, Jesse Itzler, serial entrepreneur and unbelievable guy. And I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to interview both of them. If you did not catch Hypergrowth in Boston, you've got to catch Hypergrowth in San Francisco. It's an amazing event where you get to meet thought leaders. And I got the opportunity to interview Sarah and Jesse live on stage. And now you get the chance to hear it. Can't wait to hear what you think. Sarah and Jesse. And as was just mentioned, you guys have had a lot going on in the last week. Yes, that's definitely true. It not much sleep. Not a lot of sleep. In case some of the people here don't follow you on Instagram, can you kind of break down what Last Man Standing was all about? Yeah, so uh, I just, that's the reason why I'm wearing flip flops. I just got back from a race called The Last Man Standing. You guys hear me okay? Cool. Okay. I feel like an operator. Uh, and the format of the race is you run a 4.2-mile loop. You have an hour to do it. And if you finish earlier, you can rest. finish in 15 minutes. You have a 10-minute rest. And then they line you up again at the top of the hour, and you do it again. And you keep going until one person is left. So my wife, it was in Maine. And when I, when I yeah, well, when I Googled it, it said that there were there was moderate elevation. Yeah, if you live in Maine. <laughs> It was crazy terrain. So I ended up, uh, I just got back. We, we, I did 20 hours, 80 miles, and I came in fifth. I think that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> and my wife was the last wife standing. Yes, I, I win last wife standing. Yes. I didn't sleep for 35 hours, so I was supporting him. And it's really challenging. I, I said at one point I had a breakdown, I think at like 4 in the morning, where I just started crying because it's, I said, marriage is hard when you have to really support each other's dreams. And especially if you have to watch the person you love suffer. And, yeah. um, Jesse had a pep talk with me before and he said, no matter what, tell me I look good. Tell me I look strong. Don't pull me out of the race. Don't tell me that you're worried about me. So but I, uh, I didn't say to say it like this. Ooh, you look, you look good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. But it, it was really a wild experience of just human spirit. You know, what we all have inside of us, that grit and determination. And there were 112 of really intensely impressive ultra runners there. And wow, I was just blown away by, by mindset, really, because I, I asked Jesse after this. I mean, Jesse's 51. So I said, honey, even though you didn't get the last man standing, you definitely won the oldest man standing <laughs> because he was 10 to 20 years older than every other racer in this race. And, um, yeah, so. And so I said to him, I, I was so curious because I knew mindset. I'm a huge believer in mindset. And I said, what was your mindset and what were you thinking during the race? 
And he looked at me with laser focus after it. And he said, I was saying repeatedly to myself, I push my body and my body responds. And boy, did it ever. I mean, because his knees, his ankles, I mean, the rest of his body really, I mean, was shutting down. But um, but his mindset was there. And that, that pushed him. I would say, I mean, at mile 47, I thought you were done. I love you, but I really did. I, I was like so worried. And then like, you know, you just can't, you can't ever doubt the mindset. If yeah. the mindset of the person's in the right place, then they, they just go way beyond what you expect. What's interesting about this race is, you know, you, you can get lost in how long it's going to be or how what the distance is. And it's like anything you're doing in your entrepreneurial journey or any challenge, any goal. It's really just being laser focused on what's happening right now. What's the most important thing? And not getting, not patting yourself on your back for all your achievements. Like, oh, I got to mile 25 or whatever. And not thinking about how far you want to go. It was literally just saying super present. And I always say, be where your feet are. And right here, I'm in this loop. I'm in this loop right now. Let me get back to the, to the chair, get my little rest and go on the next loop. Right now, this is my job to get to the loop. And that was the focus. Wow, it's very, very impressive. <laughs> and if any of you guys want to be super entertained and inspired, it's on my Instagram page at Sarah Blakely. And it's in one of those, you know, I put it in a permanent circle in the bar below the descriptor of my name. And it's called The Last Man Standing. And it's really, it is very yeah. inspiring. You have to check it out. It, it, her Insta <laughs> stories are r- really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah... You mentioned mindset and the importance and effect that mindset has, not only for Jesse, but, you know, people look at you and your company today and they think you're enormously successful and it was probably always that way. However, you were a salesperson at one point in time and had a very different life. Do you attribute the the things that have happened in your life to mindset or what do you attribute that success too. Yeah, definitely mindset. I mean, I sold fax machines door to door for seven years after graduating from college. And I, for 20 years, Spanx is going to be 20. I started it in the year 2000. And the soundbite in the media has been, Sarah cut the feet out of pantyhose and solved an undergarment issue. And, you know, now Spanx is here. And, and while that is true, there was so much more about the behind the scenes of why this happened. And people have asked me, can I have 10 minutes, 15 minutes of your time? I want to pick your brain on how Spanx started. But that real answer is it started way before I cut the feet out of my pantyhose. And it, it, it started when I was much younger and um, I had a series of kind of tragic events happen to me when I was in high school and it led me to uh, Wayne Dyer, who is a motivational, inspirational speaker. He passed away about two years ago, but I got exposed to him and I listened to his cassette tapes over and over and over again to the point that I had his one series called How to Be a No Limit Person memorized all 10 cassette tapes front and back. And try that, living with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's funny because in high school, no one wanted to get stuck in my car. Like after a party, they're like, she's going to make you listen to this shit. And so, um, but then, you know, I said, I said, I think was, I would take simple things like I'm just going to do the laundry tomorrow. And she'd be like, do you know the ramifications of waiting till tomorrow? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, but then fast forward, you know, I think it was 10 to 15 years after high school that um, I ended up on the cover of Forbes. And the texts I got in my phone were so funny. I mean, literally all my friends were like, damn, should have listened to that shit. <laughs> so, 
So, but I'm a big believer in it. I learned early on about manifesting law of attraction, not caring what other people think about you, which is a really big one for an entrepreneur or, you know, in life really. And I'm a work in progress on that. There are times where I do care and I check myself and say, you know, let's, let's work on this, but it's very freeing to not care what other people think. You'll take more risks. Um, to not really focus on the outcome and be so afraid to fail. So all of that is a big part of my journey and, and Spanx for sure. So I think mindset is, I work on it daily. We all need to. I need to get those cassettes. <laughs> Jesse, you didn't start out an MTV rapper. You didn't start out owning an NBA team. You were sleeping on couches for quite a while, which people I probably find hard to believe. Do you attribute your success to mindset or what do you attribute it to? Well, I definitely have my own version of mindset. When I have a goal, I like to say that's the end of the movie. I go to the end of the movie first, where I want the outcome to be. And that's unwavering. I don't negotiate that. I, I don't try not to ever negotiate my goals. The script changes. The plot changes. How you get there, you have all kinds of obstacles. But the end of the movie really never changes for me. So that's my form of visualization and, and how I kind of attack it. Sari, you mentioned that you didn't share your invention with anyone for that first year. Mm-hmm. Why would you take that approach instead of enlisting others to help you or support you through that? That really came from a gut feeling. I really honor my gut and intuition a lot and still do through the journey that I'm on. But when I cut the feet out of my pantyhose and started Spanx, um, I had actually asked for the idea two years prior. So I was selling fax machines. I had one really bad day. I'd been kicked out of an office again. I mean, I got usually business cards ripped up in my face about <laughs> once or twice a week. Um, I got escorted out of buildings all the time. And this day was just hard. I mean, I'm seven years into 100% cold calling <laughs> to sell people a fax machine. And I pulled over and I said, I'm in the wrong movie. How did this happen? Call the director, call the producer. This is not my life. Like I'm redirecting my life. And I went home and I wrote down a list of what I'm good at in in the positive column and strengths. And I saw sales and I thought, okay, well, what is it about sales that I'm good at? And it led me to the fact that I like to offer people things that they may not know they need and then really makes a difference for them. And I wrote down in my journal that night, I'm going to invent a product that I can sell to millions of people that will make them feel good. And then I looked up in in the air in my apartment and I said, I'm ready for the idea. If you give it to me, I won't squander it. And two years later, I cut the feet out of control top pantyhose one night to wear white pants to a party and not have a panty line or anything show. Because guys, you're out there in the audience. I don't know how many of you struggle with what to wear under white pants. (laughs) But it's a legit problem that we have. And so I cut the feet out of my pantyhose one time. And I thought this could be the idea because I had already set the intention for the idea to show up. So as soon as I started on the path of it, I thought, okay, I don't want to tell anybody my idea because I feel that ideas are the most vulnerable in the moment that you have them. And it is our human nature that the minute we have an idea, we tell our friend, our coworker, our wife, our husband, boyfriend, girlfriend. And in those moments out of love and care and all the right intentions half the time, the person might say something that completely squashes it or makes you not pursue it. So I didn't want to tell my friend, family and friends, and I have very supportive family and friends, but I didn't want ego to have to get involved too early on in the process. I wanted to spend my time pursuing it and not defending it. 
So at night and on the weekends for two years, I would sell fax machines during the day. And then at night I would stay up and I would, was working on the patent and I was, you know, doing all my research and driving, um, taking vacation days to drive to North Carolina where the manufacturing plants were and begging them to help make the first prototype. But that is really why. And I have to say, I mean, everybody in their life has a million dollar, even a billion dollar idea. I mean, we, we do. They come. I haven't had mine yet. Well, well, you do. And I feel like recognizing it is a big one. And then also holding it sacred for me. And I'm glad I did because I, I sat my family down a year later and all they knew was Sarah's working on some crazy idea. And a year later, I sat him down and I said, okay, guys, are you ready? It's footless pantyhose. <laughs> and I mean, they were like, so sweetie, if it's such a good idea, why hasn't anybody else created it? And then someone else in my family was like, well, honey, you know, and even if this is a good idea, the big guys are just going to knock you off in the first six months and you will have spent your savings on this. And if I had heard those things in the moment that I had it, I probably would still be selling fax machines or something like it. So I really believe that. I, I believe that you got you to gotta really protect it. Now, it didn't mean I didn't tell people that would help me pursue it. I was telling lawyers, having them help me try to write the patent. I was cold calling manufacturers and talking to them. I just didn't seek out people simply for validation until I knew I'd put enough of my own sweat equity into this idea that no matter what the validation came back as, I wouldn't waver. That was a tweetable moment for me. I'm going to spend my time and energy pursuing it, not defending it. I think that's really powerful. Do you see ideas the same way that they need to be nurtured and protected? Or were you more, I mean, because you created a lot of different companies and concepts over your career in life. Did you bring people in earlier on or did you take that same approach? Well, I have to agree with everything we're married. (laughs) So, of course, I agree. No, I think one of the most important things as an entrepreneur I found is figuring out how to get from point A to point B the fastest. And if that is telling someone or if that, in my case, maybe it was getting a key investor, getting a celebrity as part of Zico or one of our brands, whether it was a key partnership, I think that's a criti- that's been a critical part of my journey. Because when I started out, I did sleep on 18 different couches. The one thing I needed that we all need is we need a story. We need momentum. People buy into stories and momentum more than they buy into products. Like, we're the business plan. And... When I started out, I started out in the music business. I had a record out on a label called Delicious Vinyl. And right when my album came out, I I did uh, Club MTV, which is a big show on MTV at the time. I was 21 years old. And I thought like, wow, man, mom, I made it. I'm on MTV. This is unbelievable. And I did my first show in Pittsburgh. And I got off the airplane in Pittsburgh. And when I got off the airplane, there was a huge newsstand. And on the cover of this big magazine called Rap Pages at the time was my picture. And I'm like, Holy shit. I'm on the cover of rap pages. And I'm like, I'm like, this is unbelievable. That was like being on Forbes for Sarah. Like I'm on rap pages. And I go and I get the magazine and the cover of the magazine with my picture on it was, are white rappers ruining hip hop? That I have not the, heard this story. Why would I tell you? You went to marry me. So, <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so I needed a story. I needed a story. So for me, at that age, you know, it wasn't about when I had an idea telling people. It was about getting momentum. And I went to the New York Knicks with an idea to do a theme song for the Knicks. I was 22 years old. And I said, you know, sports is changing. People sitting in seats for three hours in an, in an arena 
but the game is only 48 minutes. So you have to entertain him for over two hours. Let's do a song and a video and we'll get all the celebrities in New York. The song was called Go New York Go and the Knicks paid me $4,000 for the song. And by the time I paid the studio, the engineer, the singer, the producer, the drummer, it cost me $4,800 to do the song. <laughs> so is that a good business model? No. Right. They paid me 4000 They paid me 4000 It cost me $4,800. Do you guys think that's a good business model? Wrong. That's an amazing business model. Because I would have paid the Knicks, <laughs> right. I would have paid the Knicks $5,000 to do the song for them, to help me get to point B faster. Because now I had a story. And I could call up the Bulls and be like, I did the Knicks song. And every team that came into Madison Square Garden was like, why don't we have a song like that? And that was what really jump-started my career. So for me, it's like, how do you get from A to B the fastest? And then you wrote and produced a song for the NBA that actually won an Emmy. I did. And then you created a company, another company out of this concept, right? So it actually was a good business model lose, losing $5,000. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we figured out the business model after that. <laughs> it wasn't sustainable, but it, it got me in the door and it got me momentum. And, you know, I always tell people that ask me if they're stuck, if they're overwhelmed, small wins. Just, you know, even in this race I just ran, there were... We all go through this period in any part of our journey where we're overwhelmed with self-doubt. Anybody, no matter what you're doing, even as a parent, as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, someone's bet, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes, whatever. We go through this period of self-doubt. I had it in my race. I started off, I was like, I could run four miles. And once you get momentum and you start to believe and you can, you can have something that you can build on, that's super powerful. I mean, you got to create your own hype. Small wins. For sure. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular, and it is just so easy, all because I use Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized I can do this. I can go to work for myself. Thanks to Shopify. What I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out 
the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. When starting out a new business, it's a complete pain to get through the LLC part. Taylor Brands makes it 90% easier. It's easy and affordable to get your LLC with Taylor Brands. Taylor Brands offers all the legal requirements for LLCs, such as registered agent, annual compliance, EIN, operating agreement, business license and permits, and much more. Taylor Brands walks you through each step of building a successful business and has everything you need all in one place. Bookkeeping, invoicing, business licenses and permits, business documents, bank accounts, and so much more. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using this link, taylorbrands.com slash confidence. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash confidence. So get started today with Taylor Brands. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, cbdistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life, thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit cbdistillery.com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. For the first four years of Spanx, I wore a black t-shirt with S-P-A-N-X ironed onto it that I went to one of those t-shirt shops and took a white letter and ironed on Spanx and cream pants. But I was the advertisement. So I wore that everywhere I went. And then when I got a chance to sell it in Neiman Marcus, I would bring my friends to the store to act like excited customers. And they would stand around my display table and go, oh, every time we'd like cue it, we'd be like customer coming. And this like really fancy lady, you know, perfectly dressed would be walking up and my friends would all go, tell me more. What is this? I can't believe I'm just finding out about this. And it would always cause the customer to go, what, you know, what's happening? And, and then I'd be like, yes, I get an opportunity to explain it to her. I love that you brought that story up. Would you mind sharing that story of how you sold it into Neiman Marcus? Because I love that is such a great face to face and it, it just pulls on that past track record that you had with the cold calling and how it paid off for you. Neiman Marcus was my first account. And two things about that that are, are just something that I reflect back on. One is everybody in the industry after I landed Neiman's came up to me and said, how in the world did you land Neiman Marcus? And I would look at them and I'd say, I called them. What do you do? <laughs> and they'd say, 
oh my God, we go to trade shows and we set up a booth and we've been doing it for seven years. And everybody says around year six or seven that you get a chance with Neiman's. I didn't even know there were trade shows. So I often say what you don't know can be your greatest asset if you let it. If you're not intimidated by the self-talk of, I have no idea what I'm doing, and that shuts you down. So if you can power through the, I have no idea what I'm doing, and actually see it as a positive and go, that means I'm going to do it different. And that's where you break real ground. Um, It takes a lot of courage and a lot of willingness to look stupid and potentially fall on your face. But that's where the magic is. So anyway, I I got a chance to go and cold call Neiman Marcus. I flew on a plane from Atlanta where I live to Dallas. And I met with the buyer and she was impeccably dressed. I'm in the intimidating Neiman's headquarters. I had my lucky red backpack from college. (laughs) I had the prototype in a Ziploc bag from my kitchen and a color copy of the packaging that I had created on my friend's computer. And halfway through my pitch, I was telling her what it is and I could tell I was losing her. You know, after seven years of cold calling and trying to sell things to people, you get really good at reading nonverbals. And I always say nonverbals tell you way more than the verbal. You know, when people sit there and shake their head and say, I love it and I'll call you tomorrow, you're like, oh my God, mayday. You know, that's when you pull the shoe and say, I've got to like try everything. And so she was kind of doing that. She was like, "Mm, okay, thanks. And I just stopped and said, you know what, Diane, will you come to the bathroom with me? (laughs) And she literally was like, excuse me? I'm like, I know it's a little weird, but um, can you just follow me to the bathroom and I'm going to actually show you what my product can do. I'm going to go in the stall. And she was like, oh, okay. And she walked down the hall and I went in the stall and I put it on under my white pants and I came out. So I showed her before and then I showed her with the product on and she just sat there and she goes, I get it. It's brilliant. And I'm going to try it in seven stores. And I was like, that deserves a round of applause. I love that story. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> so you guys talk a lot about humor and embarrassing yourself, poking fun at yourselves mm-hmm. in, in business and in life and, and have a lot of fun with that. And we mentioned specifically on Instagram. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Uh, <laughs> I just think we both, you know, don't take ourselves super seriously and humor works. Humor's fun. I think one thing we've both had in our entrepreneurial journey is we've had fun. And I think a lot of people forget how fun it can be. And, you know, and we work on making it fun. We try to do fun things, incorporate fun things into our household, with our kids, with our cultures at our companies. And it's an important part of the process. I mean, I would say to add to that, I, I recognize that the two biggest fears that we all have as human beings are basically the fear of public speaking and the fear of being embarrassed. And so I want that to lose its power over me. So I will intentionally embarrass myself or I will intentionally find scenarios where I'm not good at something. And then uh, I, I go through it and it usually ends up making me laugh. Or if something ridiculous happens to me, I immediately want to share it with people because then I start to find that it loses its power over me. And then you also find that when these things happen, if you can make somebody else laugh or smile, then it was, wasn't was all in vain. And that's where real human vulnerability and connection happens, especially even with your customers. So I learned that from selling fax machines. I mean, anytime I tried to act perfect or put on the perfect pitch, I got kicked out time and time again. You know, if I walked in and was like, look, I'm nervous. It's hard for me to walk through your door. I'm sorry. I know there's no soliciting sign. I mean, I would get farther with that. But 
just calling out the humanness and the real of what we're all dealing with and not being afraid of it. So we do that at Spanx too. We have oops meetings at Spanx where we have the whole company get together and we stand up and we share what we failed at or an oops or a mistake that we made and everybody claps and it's just like diffuses it. That's such a great culture. I, I believe we actually may have a video or two that we can share. I happen to be a, a huge fan of this one bird video. <laughs> if we could cue this video up, the Instagram oh, yeah, stories. The, Lovely. Is, yeah. Oh, great. Okay. I just did Good Morning America with my dress on backwards. So I did the <laughs> I see him. I see him looking at me. My husband has been running every day on this island and says a bird attacks him. So I'm on the walk with him where his jog got this because I don't believe him. Well, honey, where, how bad can it be? Come on! I'm not going. I'm not well, how are you going to get past this walking spot? Nothing's attacking me. He's fine. I see him and he's fine. <laughs> see, the bird's there. He's not going to bother you, Jess. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 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 that bird, that bird. No, Heather, that bird was not raised properly. That bird was ridiculed as a kid. I gotta tell you, I, I'm so happy that you shared that video. I had shown it to my son after I'd gone to interview you, and I said, you know, Jesse's such a great guy. And I was showing it to my son. He said, Mom, I thought he was a really strong kind of guy until right now. <laughs> I, would, I ran the same route every day, and I would come home, and Sarah would say, how was the run? I was like, the run was great, but I got attacked by a bird every time. And she's like, it's impossible. And I said, no, you got to come with me. And she walked by, and the bird didn't care. I walked by, and the bird went bonkers. <laughs> it's very personal, obviously, for the bird with Jesse. I don't know. I Maybe they thought your hair was a nest, honey. I don't know. <laughs> Sarah, you actually spent some time doing stand-up comedy. Were you petrified to do that? Because now it seems petrified. natural. I feel like you could just grab a mic and walk no. around and do it. I was so petrified. I, I, I did it when I was selling fax machines door-to-door. And I have this thing where if something terrifies me or if I think I would never do that, and, and the answer is because I'm scared, it kind of becomes something I really want to try to do. And that was one of those things. And um, I just did open mic mostly around. I did it around the country for two years while I was a trainer for the company that I worked for. But um, it was terrifying. I mean, I was so nervous and I wasn't that good. So it sounds like the hardest job in the world. It's the hardest. Well, it's I mean, it's taking the number one fear in America, which is public speaking to the next level, because you can be in front of an audience and be bombing and not really know, you know, like. The whole back section could be asleep or on their phone and you still ramble on. But if you're doing stand-up comedy, I mean, you get validation or you get crickets every 15 seconds. So it's like the most immediate, like you're failing, you're not failing, you're failing, you're not failing. And the only way to test it is in front of an audience. So you have to be so willing to bomb in front of a group of people. Or so to, please laugh at our jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or to learn what's funny or not funny. So... 
But you know what? I didn't know it at the time. This combination, see, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I'm a terrible test taker. I'm not good in, like, I have trouble with reading comprehension. So I'm sure I have some sort of undiagnosed learning disability. Um, but anyway, the, so I, I was, did debate all through high school and college, and then I get to the LSAT and I bombed it. Not once, but twice. So it derailed my whole vision of being a lawyer. And that was really depressing at the time. And then I, I naturally then went to Disney World and tried out to be goofy. And you have to be you have to be five eight in order to be goofy, and I'm only five six. So I'm the height of a chipmunk. So like this was rock bottom for me. I mean, my family, everyone was like, What's happening? I said, I, I'm too short to be goofy and I don't want to be a chipmunk. And so I just started selling fax machines door to door because it's really I mean, you needed a pulse to be hired there. And um <laughs> So anyway, but the stand-up comedy I, I did, but life has a weird way of giving you these experiences because when I started Spanx, the combination of the amount of rejection I had had was perfect to start a company because I was told no every day for two years. The idea is no good. No, thank you. We don't want to help you. We think this is stupid, whatever. And it didn't really phase me. And then the writing comedy for two years while I was doing that helped me do all the writing for Spanx and the marketing. And Spanx didn't advertise for 16 years. We became a household name and a household brand around the world without ever advertising. And I believe we did so much of that through humor and through the connection that we had with our customer and storytelling. Jesse mentioned it. Lead with story. Your customers are so much more interested in why than they will ever be interested in what. What you're selling, why you're selling it, why you're doing it, who are you in the world, what matters, what's your why. That is what people really respond to. So um, and to, if you can do it and make somebody laugh or smile, it's so much better. I mean, you then you have a chance of them telling five other people, which is what happened with Spanx. You know, it became a word of mouth brand. Jesse, did you have that same experience that Sarah had getting into stand up comedy, being afraid of it when you became a rapper? Was it that same? You know, we were petrified it. or <laughs> Did you gravitate towards it? Well, the first, right when I got signed to my record label, Delicious Vinyl, they had two huge acts at the time. One was the guy named Tone Loke. Some of you might not remember Tone Loke. Yeah, <laughs> Wild Thing, Funky Cool Medina. Yep. The other was a guy named Young MC who won a Grammy for his song called Bust a Move. And I was one of the next artists signed to the label. So before my <laughs> album even came out, I got a call from the owner. Wait, the Jesse was best known for two songs? Shake It Like a White Girl and College Girls Are Easy. Please Google it. Please Google it. Right. So anyway, so I get a call. Which, which, which I had a lot of fun telling my dad, you know. I was oh like, Dad, Dad, I think I met the one. He's like, that's nice, honey. What does he do? I'm like, right. he's a rapper. Best known for shake it like a white girl and college girls are easy. People buy into, people like, buy into stories. This is all part of the plan. Anyway, before my album came out, I got a call from the owner of the record company who said that they're having this huge concert in Atlanta, where we live now, at the Georgia Dome, and they were busting in 36,000 inner city kids from all over the state of Georgia for this concert that they coined the Increase the Peace Concert, because they were going to have black artists and white artists come together in this community bonding event. And the day before the concert, Vanilla Ice canceled, and they needed a white rapper, so they volunteered me to be the white act. So I get to the venue, and as soon as I get there, I, meet, I recognize immediately, like, the place is unruly. There's fist fights going on. They're putting the house lights on, and police are everywhere. And the kids are booing every single act that came on stage. They booed them off stage. So the first guy up was, like, LL Cool J in his prime. 
And they boo LL Cool J off the stage. I'm sitting over here in the green room about to go on next to sing my song called Shake It Like a White Girl. <laughs> so I called my mother and I said, Mom, I got a really big problem, man. They're booing LL. And she was like, sweetie, just be yourself. They're going to love you. <laughs> and I get up on stage and the MC is like, you know, all the way from California. Give it up for my man, Jesse James, which is my stage name. Do not Google it. <laughs> And as I'm going on stage, the record company gave me some T-shirts, like promotional T-shirts. So I grab them. And as I come on stage, I'm like, I'm looking at the kids in the front row. And they're pissed off that I'm even invited to the venue. But I have these T-shirts. So I'm like, does this section over here want some free T-shirts? And the kids go crazy. I threw them out. I'm like, this section over here to my right, you want some T-shirts? They went nuts. I threw them out. I'm like, middle section, you want some T-shirts back there? They went bonkers. I threw them out. I said, thank you very much. Salt and Pepper's up next. I got the fuck out of there, man. <laughs> that's never let them boo you never let them boo you it's like the first rule I got in business that, no I'm not doing stand up how animated is this man oh my gosh I can't take it okay so Sarah after you had made it you made a very shocking decision in my opinion to really put yourself out there and go on Richard Branson's reality TV show why did you make that decision you know, I read his book in college, um, and I really thought he was seemed like such an interesting guy that I would like to know. And so I, that was the start of it. And when he uh, declared that he was doing his own version of The Apprentice, his own reality show, I just thought this was a great opportunity to meet him. And he started Virgin overseas in London. He's just a really colorful, fascinating, adventurous guy. Yeah, so Spanx was four years old at the time, and my lawyers literally begged me not to do it. They're like, why would you ever do a reality show? You're the face of this brand, and you're putting your reputation over to Fox, and you have no idea what they're gonna, how they're going to edit you or what they're going to do. And I just, I just had confidence that Richard, from what I'd read about him, wouldn't, wouldn't be a part of something that would, wouldn't edit me the way that I am. But I got a 27-page contract before I did this. And it was the most insane contract. It literally said, we can burn you, we can submerge you underwater, we can drop you in political unrest. I mean, it was like insane. So my dad is a lawyer. And I emailed it to my dad. And I said, Dad, I'm thinking about doing this reality show. Can you help me edit the contract? And all he wrote back was, no sane person would sign this, love dad. (laughs) (laughs) And I signed it. And I went. And uh, Which is a great influence on our kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have not let the kids see the video footage. But it was two months of the most intense stuff. What they didn't tell me, but I should have figured out and put the two and two together from the contract was that if you lost the business challenge, each business challenge took place in a different city around the world. So instead of every challenge being in New York City, one was in Hong Kong, one was in Africa, one was in Tokyo. So it was wild. We were traveling all around the world. But if you didn't win the business challenge, instead of going to a boardroom and just being fired, you had to do a world record-breaking, death-defying stunt with Richard. And two days into filming, I literally was in Atlanta in the Starbucks line like the day before. And then the next day, I'm in England, and they woke me up at 3 in the morning and handed me a helmet. And I said... I'm an entrepreneur. Why do I need a helmet? <laughs> and I had to scale the side of a hot air balloon at 10,000 feet in the air and have tea on top of the hot air balloon with Richard. And you're afraid of heights. And I'm so afraid of heights. Like I cry on planes. I cry during takeoff. <laughs> I don't like heights. Yeah. So that was crazy. And that was the first day of filming. But 
Jesse can't even watch it. Jesse's watched like half the, of the, the first episode. The stunt episode. got so ridiculous. It was like, Sarah, climb the scale the top of the building and jump in this glass of water. You know? <laughs> and then when you're in the water, we're going to throw you in with the sharks and then you swim around and come up. I was like, what? This is crazy. So you guys weren't married back then? No. no. He didn't know me then. No. Was it worth it? Now when you look back, are you glad that you did that? I'm so glad I did it. I mean, I think that I, I I don't think I would have done the challenges if I was a mother at the time, but I wasn't. I was single and <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I'm so happy I did. I mean, Richard's actually a great friend. I'm actually going to Switzerland this Friday with Richard and about 35 entrepreneurs from around the world. And we're doing a physical challenge through the Swiss Alps to raise money for education. Wow. And I'm not like my husband. I'm not this physical, you know, challenge person. But I had had too much tequila when Richard asked me if I wanted to go. And I said yes. <laughs> and so now I'm going. I I'm hate it when that slightly happens. terrified. But um, we're going to swim, bike, and hike through Switzerland. And it starts with a glacier lake swim in a full body wetsuit. Well, just in case you guys haven't can't picture this or haven't seen this show, we... Brought you a clip. Oh, so you have you can, a clip? Which we, clip is it? Brought, is it a balloon? Can you cue the next video? challenge is that we're going to go up into the top of the balloon. Something I've never done. It's not going to be easy at all. On the top of the balloon, we're going to have a tea party and have a discussion. <laughs> Being hoisted out on the ladder, suspended at 10,000 feet on the side of a hot air balloon is terrifying. I am so scared. That is I'm in impressive. a full sweat. I'm in a full sweat. I don't I don't want to just watch it. I'd rather run for twenty hours. <laughs> that was so intense. There were so many things about that, but it took me forty eight minutes to climb. It was a dangling rope ladder, so there was nothing anchoring it. So I spent the first twenty five minutes of the climb just flailing around in the air. And then the last 20 minutes, I kept saying, just get to the balloon, get to the balloon. But once I got to the balloon, the balloon was hot and the rope was very taut against the balloon. So I had nowhere to put my fingers anymore around the rungs of the ladder. So I'd use my fingertips. And then once I did the little tea thing and was like, "Woo, that was great. I started bawling because I realized I had to climb down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, wait, how do we get down? So we had to go back down the ladder. It sounds horrific. Yeah, no, but thank it was, God you're here. Listen, I'm here, and what an experience. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Jesse, you have an online community, Build Your Life Resume community, which is really amazing. Check it out if you guys haven't seen it. All right, we got some peeps here. Yay. Yay. Awesome. Thank so you, guys. Some of the feedback, Jesse, that really pops out at me, the things that people like, the takeaway is the brownie, the, you know, what is your unique brownie? Can you share what that means and, and how you develop that? 
It's just a reference to a story when I was in college. I took, I was a crossroads my senior year of college. I was either going to the music business, which I loved, or I was going to sell a product called Aunt Franny's Brownies. I had a roommate in college that had an Aunt Franny. And every month she sent us a shipment of brownies. And I don't know what she put in the brownies, but they made everybody happy. It's like, like I can market these. Like, this is going to work. So from, from my advertising class senior year, we had to create a fictitious brand from scratch. Soup, soup to nuts, like, you know, jingle, which I was good at, billboard, slogan, packaging, everything. So I said, I'll use this advertising class as my R&D department. And if they like my Aunt Franny's brownies presentation, I'll just roll it out and I'll sell brownies. So the way that the final exam was set up, there were 100 kids in the classroom. It was, it was small. And everybody had a hand in their campaign, but five people were going to get picked at random to present a 30-minute state of the union of the business they were going into, the industry they were going into in front of the class. So, like, I'm a senior in college. There's a 5% chance that I wanted to get picked. Like, nobody prepared for the oral presentation. (laughs) You didn't want to get picked. And sitting to my right in the classroom was a guy named Ronnie Cohn. Ronnie Cohn was a professional jackass. No, no. Ronnie Cohn bullied half of the class for four years of college. So when the professor said, we're going to do this the democratic way, everyone write down your name and I'll put, take off my hat and I'll pick out the name. When he came to me, I took 25 pieces of paper and I wrote Ronnie Cohn's name down. And I stuffed him in the hat. And when he picked out the name, this is a true story. Sure enough, the first name that came out was Jesse Itzler. The jackass did the same thing. <laughs> He's such an asshole. <laughs> So I went up there and I pitched Aunt Franny's brownies in 30 seconds into my presentation. And by the way, the tuition at American University is $40,000 a year. That's where I went. So for four years of tuition, $160,000 of my parents' money, this is literally the only thing I remember. The professor stopped me <laughs> for $160,000. He stopped me in the middle of my presentation, 30 seconds in, and he said, son, I want to know what is your point of differentiation? And I was like, what does that even mean? He said, what makes your brownie different than all the other brownies on the market? And I was like, well, they're moist and delicious. They're, they could be gluten-free. They're home-baked, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, no. He said, son, there's a thousand brownies that come out every year and substitute them for marketer, for restaurateur, for advertising, for lawyer, for whatever you do. There's a thousand of you that come out. And if you want to make it, your brownie, whatever it is, has to be different than all the other brownies. Sit down. And he made me sit down. And I realized at that moment, like it was a real powerful moment for me because I, I asked myself at that moment, like, and since then, as an entrepreneur, I've always asked myself, like, how am I different? You know, what makes my product stand out? How can I treat my customers differently than everybody else? Sarah mentioned it early, but like if you, if you rip up the playbook that everybody in the industry is using and you say like, well, how would I do it if I never was taught how to do it? That's where innovation comes from. So I always ask myself in an authentic way, you know, if you're quirky, be quirky. If you're this, be this. But what makes you different? I just remember, not to belabor this point, but I remember when we started Marquee Jet, which was a private jet company that I started with my my partner. We had no aviation experience. We had no airplanes. We didn't know a lot of rich people. And we started this company that, and, and not a great formula. For a private, but we ended up building a company that did, that did $5 billion in sales. And we sold it to Warren Buffett's NetJets. And I remember sitting with our sales team, and I would go in and I would listen to pitches. And they would pitch the way Kenny and I, my partner and I, were pitching. And I'd be like, what are you, you can't, what are you doing? Like, you're a single mom. Tell, be who you are, you know, and be unique for you and be different for what you are. You can't, you're not the co-founder. So it's always been a mantra of mine to just kind of like what makes you uniquely 
different. And that was a question Sarah asks all the time to, to her team and to her employees, you know. She always asks yeah. her employees, if no one taught you how to do your job, how would you do it? Yeah, because we're on autopilot as human beings. I mean, think about it. Almost every single thing that we do, someone taught us how to do it or we observed how it was done. And so I like the space of closing your eyes and saying, if no one showed you how to do this, how would you do it? Like, would you be doing it differently? And oftentimes you will, and the answer or the vision comes to you, and then that's a real nugget for yourself. Yeah. I would just put an asterisk next to that because, you know, I just ran this race, and I'm a big believer in becoming the expert in the space you're going into. So before I approached this race, I called everyone that I could find, anyone I could find that did this race and asked them a lot of questions. How many calories do you have to take? How many ounces of fluids do you have to take every hour? How much sodium do you need every hour? And in a very, very short amount of time, I became what I believe in my own head was an expert. And I would come in every station and say to my pit crew, I'd be like, I had one goo, half a bottle of Roctane, which was the drink that I was drinking. I had 200 calories, 70. You know, I need six. 350 milligrams of sodium. Like I was very aware of it. So in certain circumstances, you want to become the expert and follow the advice. But in others, you want to stand out for what you know what what you are. Please do not get mad at me, but unfortunately, we have to move to the lightning round of questions, and we're about ready to wrap up. And even though no one wants these two to leave, okay. What's happening in your life right now? I'm going to Switzerland on Friday, which sounds very fabulous. That sounds very exciting. Okay. How do you feel when you're in a room with Richard Branson, Microsoft Giving Pledge? How do I feel when I'm in the Giving Pledge room? Um, Super humbled. And how did I get in this room? Pinch me kind of feeling. Sarah's agreed to give away half of her wealth to charity. Amazing. What would your career be if you didn't start Spanx? I mean, I'm a frustrated beautician. so (laughs) I might have my own salon or I I was someone who did everyone's hair for prom and I always like doing makeovers and things like that. Oh, that sounds fun. Theme song for your life. Your speed round, sweetie. Oh, gosh. Theme song for my life. Either one you can answer. Mine is... uh, Baby uh, Got Back. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! I'm Excellent a, marketing. Excellent marketing. I'm in the butt business, okay? Wow, <laughs> that's good. Me. That was good. Oh, there's a song called Here I Come. It's a reggae song. That's one of the mantras, like Here I Come. So it's just my Strong. personal thing. Nice. Okay, favorite party trick? Um. <laughs> I can make people say no. I have this crazy thing. I could do it with you after, Heather. <laughs> have you ever heard it before? No. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was good. Um, weird trait about you. Weird what? A weird trait about either one of you. I mean, I, this is so weird, but I can vibrate my eyes. What? You can what? what does that even mean? You can do, what'd you say? I can vibrate my eyes. <laughs> you learn something new all the time. We met for 10 years. I've never seen you vibrate your eyes. I can vibrate my eyes. And the weird thing is, is um, Charlie just looked up at me and vibrated his eyes the other day. Our little boy. So apparently it's genetic. I've only had fruit until 12 o'clock noon for 28, 29 years now, unwaveringly. Fruit till noon, Fruit brother. Till noon. And I didn't like that smoothie that you gave me. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Listen. Okay. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Pet peeve? Oh. I pe- know what yours is. Oh, oh this wait. is like the newlywed game. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, what do you think mine is? Well, I mean, you're probably about to answer something different, but running water. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't get me so- started on running water. Yeah. 
Did anyone notice the clock is now going the opposite direction? <laughs> what? I'm a little confused. Okay. Um, uh, my pet peeve is when the windshield wipers are going more than they need to. <laughs> that's, a fa- that's a fair one. Um, believe me, I get the... Br- I mean, she'll be driving and Sarah will be like, shut the window, the wipers <laughs> off. Or like, lower the wipers. I'm like... It's this upsetting is- me. <laughs> Based on the wind. Raise the wipers. Lower the wipers. Okay, here's a good one, Sarah. Shut the wipers off. <laughs> who get is rid of your, the wipers. Who is your celebrity crush? Well, growing up, my celebrity crush was Gene Wilder. <laughs> Unexpected. And look who I married. <laughs> <laughs> I found my real life Gene. I'm not kidding. I had a well, guess on. what? My celebrity crush was Wonder Woman. Guess who I married? Oh. Oh. I love that. I love that. Thank that you, was sweetie. awesome. We're going to wrap up, even though we don't want to lose these two right now. But if you thought this day couldn't get any better, Sarah has something that she wants to share with everyone. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was it? Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, so listen. All you have to do, I'm going to give away some awesome Spanx products, okay? Yes, yes. And for the guys out there that are like, "Ah, look, you've got a wife, a daughter, a sister, a mother. They're going to love you for this. And I also happen to make man spanks. So you can buy yourself something too. Okay. Jesse, my underwear, well, not my underwear, but the underwear that I make for spanks is his favorite <laughs> underwear. He loves the man spanks underwear, but anyway, I'm, I digress. So, um, all you have to do is get out your phones and go to Instagram and follow at Sarah Blakely. And that's S-A-R-A without an H at Sarah Blakely. And then in uh, the last post, which actually was his last man standing post, just put hashtag um, hypergrowth. And I'm going to pick 20 of you at random and I'm going to send you some awesome Spanx leggings. And if you're a guy and you don't want leggings, you want something else, I'm happy to send that to you. But these, we have a cult following for our faux leather leggings. People love them. You'll love them. Hold on. Can I do a promotion? <laughs> yes. If you guys... You're going to out-promote no, me, I'm out I didn't know you are doing a promotion. Yeah. We just found out. All right. <laughs> Go to my Instagram, at Jesse Itzler. Use the same hashtag. Come to a Hawks game with me courtside. I'll take three people. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Hey. That's awesome. <laughs> you can wear your Spanx, and I'll pick three people. You'll come to a game. We'll go early. We'll go to shoot around. And uh, if we win... That's you get invited back. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys. Please join me in thanking these two amazing human beings. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you guys so much. Thank you. on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about, Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, 
Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential don't believe me i'm gonna go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too you have helped me so much these last few weeks i was with a narcissist for two years she drove me to the point i wanted to take my own life listening to you has made a massive difference and now i know what i'm with thank you rebecca now the recovery Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life. Emma, 35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.